0: Mindfulness Mode.
1: I'll never forget that beating I took, and I'm so thankful for it because it did change things.
0: Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I know a lot of you are interested in, in marketing, in copywriting, in understanding how to reach people... And my guest today is an expert at that, but he's an expert at quite a number of things. And one of them, I'm going to just hold back a little bit because I can't wait to talk to him about it. But I'm going to leave that as a surprise. But I have Steve McChesney with me today. Hey, Steve, are you in mindfulness mode today? Bruce, I certainly am. Uh, my word of the day is mindfulness. I know. You just told me that. That is the coolest thing. So you have Word Genius, and that's where
1: you get a word every day. Is it emailed to you, Steve? It's emailed me to me every morning, and it gives me a new word to look at with a definition and, and to think about. And today, of all days, when I knew I was coming to talk to you, Bruce, I get mindfulness. That. You can't ask for anything better than that.
0: No, that is absolutely <laughs> amazing. Well, what does mindfulness mean to you,
1: Steve? Well, you know, mindfulness to me is being aware of not only your current situation, but also about what's going on inside of you emotionally, uh, physically, uh, and just without judgment. But just be aware of it. Uh, That to me is mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you
0: must be a very mindful guy because you really know how to reach people through copywriting and you've got a terrific new book called Rearranging Change. And I've been uh, very, very grateful because I had a chance to read a lot of that book already. And wow, do you ever know your stuff, Steve? And you present it in such a way that the listener, the reader can really understand what you're talking about. So it's
1: very down to earth. Well, you know, thanks for that, because that's on purpose. And again, that is being very mindful, because just like any business, when you're in business, you need to be mindful of your customer, not just that they're a customer, but they're human beings. So I think that that is the way I wrote my book. I'm talking to marketers or business owners or entrepreneurs and showing them there's a way to be real with people. Because if you're real, you're being mindful, you're going to have better results. There's just no doubt about it. Plus, it's more entertaining to read that way.
0: Yeah. And it's cool because what you've also done is you've started a podcast and on the podcast, you're sharing some of the ideas that you have in your book, which is great. And one of the ideas is, hey, let's understand what people are like from different generations. And you start that off. So before we move on, I'm going to share your bio, Steve. Steve McChesney is a sales and marketing expert, as I already said. And as a result, he has a keen awareness of mindfulness and being grounded. He's created programs for personal development, stress release, weight loss, and to stop smoking. He also attended a private film school in California and he became a stuntman and performed in over 350 movies and television shows. He's produced and directed various shows as well. And he has also performed live comedy hypnosis shows. And Steve is known for the statement, learning is directly proportional to the amount of fun you are having. So what a great bio and Steve, well, why don't you go ahead and tell us about Generation Z? Tell us about everybody in the
1: Generation Z group. Generation Z is the last generation that we have right now. Um, they're, they're the generation that's the hardest to pinpoint as far as marketers are concerned because they don't, we don't know enough about them yet. Their average age right now is between two years old and 22 years old. Basically, that's that generation. We need to learn about them because they are the up-and-comers. However, here's what we do know. We do know that they have never lived without Amazon. So they're used to having things delivered to them. They don't go out for stuff. They like to have it come to them. So companies like Uber Eats and DoorDash and Amazon and anything that can deliver to them is going to be successful when they try to market to that generation. Um, Emotionally, and mentally, I'm not sure quite about them yet. I, I am trying to study the best I can. See, I had a I had a, a, a leg up on millennials because I have three daughters who are right. all millennials. So it was easy to do my research there. So the new generation, all I know is I look next door to my neighbor who's got a five-year-old who is more proficient on a computer than I probably ever will be. So that this Generation Z is growing up in technology not just with it but they're growing up in it well i love the story you told on in the book
0: about your nephew and how you were you were uh creating an app and you had this idea
1: and you ran it by him and he said no i wouldn't buy that (laughs) tell us that story that was cool oh my goodness yeah that is so true because you know i'm a baby boomer so i think in baby boomer terms and so i put together an app i actually was in new orleans and uh i was at the at a cemetery and i had no idea who these people were that were buried there. I thought it was a kind of a cool cemetery. there's all falling apart, but I had no idea who they were. So I, it was called Lafayette Cemetery. So I Googled Lafayette Cemetery on my phone, and all these tour companies wanted to sell me a tour. No information other than that. And I thought, in today's day and age, your phone can't be your tour guide. So it gave me the idea, and I created an app. It's called New Orleans at Your Feet. And if you download that app to your phone, you can now – tour the Garden District, which includes the Lafayette Cemetery, and learn all about it for $2.99. <laughs> or you can do a French Quarter tour, or you can do a ghost tour. So we have different tours. Now, those are the three tours that I had in mind. Then when I was having a discussion with my brother-in-law, actually, about the marketing for this, and my, here's my idea, and I think it's a brilliant one. I was going to go to the New Orleans airport, and I was going to have a billboard, and it was going to say, as you get off the plane, there's a billboard with our logo of our feet walking, and it's going to say, baggage claim this way. And then as you get closer to baggage claim, another billboard that said, you're almost there. And then as you go down an escalator, you'd see a big digital billboard and it would say, "You let us get you this far. Let us show you the rest of the city. New Orleans at your feet. Apple and Google. Brilliant, right? That's a great idea, I think.
0: But I'm a baby boomer too, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, if I could have afforded the $25,000 a week that that airport wanted for that, I would have done it. So that's the conversation I had what i didn't know was that my nephew was listening to the conversation and he is a millennial now he's he was 29 years old at the time he is uh, a nuclear physicist so he's a very smart guy the millennials are smart by the way he looked at me and he said Unc, i got to be honest with you i wouldn't download that app now of course my heart dropped because yeah. <laughs> i mean I just spent a whole lot of time, a lot of effort, and I loved the whole concept. And I said, why not? And He said, well, I'm all about technology. I'm about having my phone with me, but I don't want to follow a point A to point B tour. I'd rather just walk around the city, and when I, I'm near something cool, have my phone text me, and I'll hit a button. and It'll tell me where I'm standing. So I added what we call the GeoTour. So now you can walk around New Orleans, and when you're near something that's on our tour, it's going to text you. You're going to be able to learn all about where you're standing, and it is the number one selling tour in our package. So thanks to him, because I didn't think that way, but his thought popped pattern was with millennials. And now that's a big audience for us.
0: I think that's just great. That is just so terrific. And I want to talk to you about copywriting, but I also want to talk to you about the work that you've done as a stunt actor. And I think that's so cool. So you've been in over 350 movies. And uh, so tell us about the mindfulness it takes to be a stunt actor.
1: Well, you know, uh, and I won't bore you with a real long history of my life, but I will tell you, I started as a kid living in Hollywood and I used to sneak into the studios and I got to the point where I didn't have to sneak in anymore. The guards at the gate knew who I was. So it was like, Hey, little Stevie, come on, come on in you <laughs> know, that kind of a thing. So I was very mindful back then too of where I wanted to go. But when I got into the, the business actually as an adult where I got paid for it and I became a stunt man. Now I studied stunt work under a, a man named Kim Kahana and Kim was Charles Bronson's stunt double. He was also for, you're my age, you'll know this, but in the old days, in the late 60s, there was a a show on TV called the Banana Splits uh, Hour. And there was a show on there called Danger Island with Jan Michael Vincent. Kim Kahana played Chongo. He was the the native on the island. So that's his story. So I got into to stunt work with him. Now, because of who he was, he kind of helped me get into the business without having to go through a whole lot of hurdles, which most people in Hollywood do. so while I worked there, I actually learned from the days when I was a kid. I snuck into Universal Studios. I went on to a, a, a set of Battlestar Galactica, which Lauren Green was starring at the time. Now, when I was a kid, I met Lauren Green on the Bonanza set. And I was one of the regulars, so he knew me as Stevie. And so I kind of like was walking up to his chair, and this production assistant stopped me and said, Can I help you? I said, well, I'm here to talk to Mr. Green. And he's like, well, Who are you? And I said, oh, I'm a friend of his. And he's like okay from where he's he's not wanting me to go there right and I'm looking and I'm pointing in Lauren Green and Lauren Green just kind of like takes his hand and waves me over yeah so much to the chagrin of this PA I went over to him and I said hi Mr. Green you probably don't remember me but when I was a little kid I used to come to the Bonanza set and he looked at me and he went (laughs) Stevie I went yes (laughs) anyway long story short he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I just, I'm in stunt school and I want to, I'm trying to become a stunt man. And he said, have you got your SAG card yet? And I said, no, I'm still working on that. And he goes, wait a minute. He calls over the director and he says, give him a job. I want him to do a stunt, get him a SAG card. And that's how I got my SAG
0: card. Oh, that is a great story. Wow. Great
1: story. And then, you know, throughout the next probably, I don't know, five or six years, I was a working stunt man and background actor and actor. Um, I had made it in Hollywood, basically. Uh, The problem was I was too young and dumb because I also got caught up into the bad part of Hollywood uh, as far as having money and and not knowing how to handle it and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I learned some lessons there. But that kind of all came to an end. I I ended up crushing my knee. And I, I was on a cane for a while. And that was pretty much the end of my stunt career. Now, it didn't have to be. Most of my stunt buddies, they're all wired. I mean, every bone in their body has been broken, these guys, you know. And uh, they said, what are you doing? I mean, you're successful. Why are you leaving this? And I said, because I I can't do it. I can't take the pain. Plus, like I said, I got in, you know, I started drinking way too much. Uh, I I got involved in things I shouldn't have gotten involved in. So it was just a life-saving, being mindful. Believe it or not, being mindful to get away from what was going to end up killing me. And so I did. And I, I don't look back in any regret. What was the, What
0: was the scariest stunt you ever did, Steve?
1: Um, I think I, I did a couple of high falls and my highest fall was 42 feet. Oh, wow. Now Think of a four story building and add two feet to it. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a
0: long drop.
1: It's a long drop. And when you're standing on top of that roof and you're looking down, that airbag looks like a postage stamp. I yeah. mean, it's not very big. No. You've got to hit that thing dead center. So um, I, I remember standing up there and when that director says action, you go. There's no waiting, no delaying. So you go. But I remember I was shaking the adrenaline going through my body right prior to hearing the word action. And uh, but at the end of it, I want to do it again. Oh, did you? <laughs> My goodness, that was the best drug in the world, that adrenaline that goes through you. You know, that's, yeah. that's the kind of thing. But Now, I will tell you, I had friends in the business, uh, a couple of really famous stunt guys, A.J. Um, That adrenaline actually ended up killing them. Oh. Uh, A.J. worked on a movie called Steel with Lee Majors. And in the movie, it's about the construction workers who build high rises. And in the movie, this worker freezes on the top of this high rise. Well, A.J. took over that actor's position and was to fall from the building. Now, when you're in the movie business, you can take a camera and you can make it look like you're falling a thousand feet. and You've just only fell 10. Sure. Right. A.J. didn't want that. He wanted to actually do the fall and because it was going to break a world record. Dar Robinson had the record on a movie called Hooper with Burt Reynolds, where he jumps off of a helicopter into an airbag. So A.J. wants to beat that record. And it's that adrenaline rush. Well, he ended up beating the record, but it ended up killing him oh. at the same time. He went right through his airbag. So it's just, it's a crazy business, but it was fun. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's a movie you were in as a stunt actor that I would recognize?
1: Well, uh, boy, I did a lot of them. I did for the boys with Bette Midler and James Caan. Okay. Uh, I will tell you my favorite movie I was in, but it wasn't as a stunt actor. It was as an actor. And that was Star Trek six. Oh, cool. Star Trek 6 was the last movie with the original cast, and so I was, a, I was a crew member on the Enterprise, and that was fun. I would have paid them to let me do that because that was so much fun, but here's what I didn't know. You know, Star Trek is a big thing for Trekkies out there, the conventions they hold. Well, when you go onto a movie set, you have what they call a call sheet. The call sheet tells you what time to uh, report, what time to go to makeup, the wardrobe, the whole nine yards, those when I go to the work every day at Paramount for Star Trek Six, those call sheets were all over the floor. People would read them, they'd throw them away. I mean, just to them it meant nothing. I could have had thousands of them. I found out later they were selling because it was the last movie with all of the original cast. They were selling for over a thousand dollars a piece. Wow. For the call sheets. And I'm telling you, Bruce, literally I could have had thousands of them. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that must have been
0: so much fun, Steve. That must have been it amazing. Was
1: it was a, a lot of fun and i you know i i, I still am involved in the entertainment business um I've directed and produced shows since then. I've written screenplays. Uh, I, I'm involved now. I don't if you hear my podcast. I've got a regular guest on there named Ron Seggi.
0: Yeah, I know Ron from listening to your podcast. Yeah, yeah <laughs> because uh, I've listened
1: to every episode that you've got on there. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Well, Ron is is uh, Ron and I are. We've got a, our hands in a couple of things. We have got a, a TV show that we're working on and a, a movie, a true story that happened out of Erie, Pennsylvania, that wow. we're we're kind of working on right now. So I, I've never gotten out of the movie business. I I just became smarter in how I did it uh, and more mindful. <laughs> yeah, you just did a little transition. You kind of did a pivot.
0: A lot of people are needing to do pivots right now, aren't aren't they?
1: Oh my and, goodness. Uh, yes, yeah. They are. Do
0: you have any any suggestions for people who are like just kind of stunned right now because they're realizing, "Hey, I may never go back to that job or that industry or that business that I had." What do you suggest for those people? You know, to
1: be honest with you, I think that Like the name of my book is Rearranging Change. Change is always happening. So even though you might be fearful of what your future holds, just remember the future's coming, no matter what you think. So don't let it scare you. Just think about what you really want to do. I mean, for me personally, being... uh, quarantined or put into my house where I'm not supposed to leave has been a blessing in disguise. I've gotten more work done now than I've probably gotten in the last couple of years just because I'm not distracted by what's happening on the outside world. So the the change is coming anyway. Just be mindful about how you really feel in your heart and what you want to do. Maybe a lot of those people who are fearful that they won't have a job was a job they didn't like in the first place.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: I mean, the, the universe is a strange thing because it happens for a reason and everything happens on purpose. So you have to understand that, I think. Well,
0: I'm very impressed by your book. And I love the fact that you're giving the book away on the website rearrangingchange.com because what is it like $24 if you
1: buy it, isn't it? Twenty-four ninety-five on Amazon, right. and doing well there. And uh, but yes, we're giving it away for free. We do ask you pay the shipping and handling. It's seven dollars and ninety-five cents, but you get an actual copy of the book in your hand. Uh, and it's just my way of getting, you know, building a business with you, getting you for you to know who I am. Uh, I, I part of my business today is I actually go to businesses and coach their marketing departments and their copywriters. And so that's really where I make my living. It's not in selling books. So, but if you know about me and you have a business and you need somebody to help you and coach you, I'm a great guy to call.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you are. You are definitely a guy who absolutely understands marketing from the beginning to end and mindful tribe get that book because it is really terrific. Rearrangingchange.com. You talked about copywriting all through the book about, you know, the four aspects of head of copywriting, headline, lead, body,
1: call to action. And the body's job is to it's to build desire. It's to make you want to buy. Um, basically, it's the benefits. You know, when you write any kind of copy, the headline's job simple: just get people's attention. That's what its job is. The lead, which is the next line after your headline, is going to be to create interest. What's going to make them want to read any further or care? And then, when you get to the body, you start talking about benefits. This is what's in it for you, and. Of course, when you have enough things that are in it for you and you know that, then, of course, you're going to go to the call to action, which is the final part of copywriting. But it's also a a part where I believe this is where you need to be authentic. You know, too many salesmen out there are so busy trying to sell that they're losing the sell because they're not being authentic. Uh, they're they're trying to convince somebody to do something instead of persuading them to do something. And here's the difference: to convince somebody to do something is you're trying to get them to do something for your own personal reasons. If you're persuading somebody to do something, you're trying to get them to do something because they actually want to do something. You're just showing them and you're assisting them on doing it. There's it 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 it's an easy thing to define verbally. But for a lot of salespeople, it's hard mentally for them to do that. Now, this is where mindfulness comes in. Just be authentic. Be yourself. and and Love the product that you're selling. If you can do that, you're on your way. It's unfortunate that there's so many out there that are selling products that they don't really care about. They're just looking for the money. And we're always going to have that aspect. But for the successful ones, my book is for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that is a great book. And you talk about AIDA, A-I-D-A.
1: Yep. AIDA. That is a copywriting slang. Every industry has their own terminology and jargon. And that's, that basically is, is an acronym. The A stands for um, uh, action. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> attention. I'm, I've got it backwards. The last A is action. Attention is the first A. It's the headline. How do you get somebody's attention? I stands for interest. Again, that's what I call the lead. Of course, the D is desire. That's what we know is the body. And then the last A is action, call to action, tell people what to do.
0: So yeah. what do you think is the biggest mistake most people make when they're, when they're trying to write landing pages or they're trying to write this copy to, to attract people's interest?
1: Uh, well, I want to say again, being authentic, you've got – people – don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's a little Zig Ziglar statement that's so, so true. Um, if you, with your headline, there are some techniques in headlines where you're going to get somebody's attention a little bit better. Curiosity being the best one. Ask a question. People want to know the answer. And If your question's strong enough, then you've got them going into your lead. Um, I think a lot of times they copy what they see and they just put it out there because they see it work for somebody else. But people don't buy from you just because something worked for somebody else they need to know who you are and so i would say just try to put yourself in there build a relationship first go let's go into social media there's a great example a lot of people go into social media trying to sell everybody on social media they they think that's where all the people are well they are that's where the traffic is but they're not there to be sold to they're there to build relationships and to be social now once they know who you are now you can present your opportunity to them not sell to them, present your opportunity to them, and you have a better chance of them, you know, fulfilling that.
0: Well, you've, uh, you've seen uh, social media be created, you know, as it came along. What's your favorite social media that you use?
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to say Facebook. Because that's our generation now. Yeah. My my kids aren't on it anymore. No. <laughs> they, have, they have their new ones. Um, but I like Facebook. I I you know it's been great to be able to keep in touch with people from the past. It's uh it's a great way to not have to interact sometimes, but still keep, in, uh, keep track of people of what they're doing. Um, when it comes to my girls, you know they like to text me. They don't. We don't really communicate too much on Facebook. And I I will tell you this. I recently got involved in TikTok. Now, TikTok, I had no idea. It's like that's for kids, right? And people I listen to, they're saying, no, get involved. Yeah, you not necessarily them. for kids. <laughs> right, not necessarily for kids. And so I started uh, putting up – I did little commercials for my tour app. So I went into New Orleans and I shot video of me talking about the different locations. So I started putting them on TikTok. My goodness, I went from zero followers to 7,000 followers in two months. Wow. But now that I put something up like I like to do a, a word of our quote of the day or something they don't want that they want no. all those New Orleans locations. So one thing about social media is you've got to learn what they want right. give them what they want uh, because if you don't <laughs> they, they start leaving. <laughs> do
0: you think you might uh, create an app for another city?
1: that's that's our plan. Uh it's our plan. I'm gonna do it a little differently though this time. We spent probably two years researching New Orleans and locations and and putting all that together. it was a, it was a very time consuming effort. The cities that we're gonna add, and we already have a list of them that we'd like to do, um, I think I'm gonna go and find somebody who lives in that city who's probably a tour guide, and give them a piece of the app and let them do all that research. That sounds like a good idea. you know, it's uh, I'm learning that sometimes it's you you, It's not how to do something, but who can already do it? it's going to be a lot easier in business. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going well, to-
0: I, I would love that. I would love that app. We we recently went to Montreal. I'm from Canada, by the way. Right. And uh, yeah, we spent time in Montreal. What a great city. I would have loved to have an app like that. That would have been fantastic. And I'm kind of like your nephew in a way in that I would love to just go on my own tour. And when I see something, yeah, I want to know what that is. I don't want somebody telling me, hey, go here, go there, go to this place. You know what I mean? I like right. that.
1: Well, you know, plus when we were in New Orleans, we did a ghost tour, and it was about two hours long, and it was fun. I mean, it was – you learn a lot about the city, not Mm -hmm. just the ghostly part of it, but just the history of the city. And it was – I think we paid $25 a person, my wife and I and my daughter, and um, two hours, and that was it. But you were on the tour guide's time. You had to go from location to location on their time. With this app that I have, you can see three things today. Next week, go see three more. I mean, it's your time have lunch. And I think I gave more information than that tour guide gave us. So, Oh, I (laughs) I just
0: think it's terrific. I really do.
1: Yeah. I loved it. I I love doing it. And, and, uh, I use those. I go to New York, I find a tour app and I, I, go walk around Manhattan with the tour app. I'm I'm now a user of apps that other people have done.
0: Oh yeah. I, I don't blame you. So tell me about the mindfulness it took to write that book, Rearranging Change. Did Was that your first book? I know that you have a, a book about copywriting and that's great too, but is this your first major book?
1: Well, it's my first major book done the right way. Uh. I've actually written three other books. Um, <laughs> comically, the first one, I wrote was called the denture wearers cookbook. Oh yeah. I and, saw that online. I saw yeah. that. <laughs> it's a comedy book. It is. It will. It, it, it is. It's, I wrote it for the birthday gag gift market. People are always buying gag gifts, for people turning 40, 50 or whatever it's going to be. Although I actually went through the denture process. Another nice thing about being a stuntman: man, things happen. You get teeth knocked out sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting dentures. So And I always loved to cook. So I thought, well, let me write a cookbook. For denture wearers, there's enough of those out there. And uh, my my brother-in-law, the same one I talked to on the marketing for the app, he's also an artist. So he did all kinds of cartoons. So there's uh. a cartoons are all throughout the book, but they're good recipes. So it's real recipes. It's the kind of birthday gag gift you can give to somebody where they're going to get a laugh, but they're not going to throw it away after that. Now we've got good recipes. You can actually use the gift. So, so that was my first one. But I did that self-publishing, didn't know how to really self-publish, didn't know how to get it out there. So I never made any money on it. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I was in the martial arts business for quite a while. And so I wrote a book on how to have an after school pickup business. In, oh, yeah. And so that was my second book that I wrote. Uh, then I decided to write a book on my acting days in the film business. So I wrote a book called The Business of Acting. So actors who want to get into the profession would know really what the business of it was, not just the glamour of it, but the business. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so those are the other three books that I wrote. And I'm going to actually revisit those now that I'm having a lot of success with Rearranging Change. Uh, it's going to be a lot easier to get those books to where they need to be. Um, but the mindfulness of writing Rearranging Change really comes from understanding the customer, being mindful of the customer. And I wanted to put that out. You know, I I traveled for the last five years. I've been uh, for a major seminar company. They've been flying me all over the place to do two-day boot camps on copywriting and business writing. And I saw some of the same things in every class I taught from the students, the same issues they were having. And it was that they weren't really thinking about the person that they were trying to reach. They were thinking about the customer, but not the person. And I decided to write this book to show them who the person was. Understand what generation they were from. They they have different beliefs because of the way they were raised. Not that they were good or bad, it's just, it is. I mean, if you're in the traditional generation, you were born during the Great Depression. You were born during World War II. I mean, there was, a lot of things affected the way you think, you know, uh, McCarthyism. They, th- that generation was told to, to be silent. Speak only when you're spoken to. They kept that their whole life. They, they don't offer information. You have to ask them. Yeah. Baby boomers, you know, we, we're a greedy bunch. We were only given a, one present at Christmas for, for our birthday when we were growing up. So now we want it all. So we became very greedy. and So it's all about what's in it for us. You know, WIIFM, what's in it for me? When you market to them, tell them what's in it for them. That's what, that's what they can hear. That's what they listen to. Uh, millennials use hashtags. That's, they recognize that. Text, text is the way they like to communicate. So use text. Unfortunately, Generation X is almost kind of skipped here. Um, unfortunately, because there's some great people in that generation, but they were also called latchkey kids because that's the first generation that really came home and there was nobody home. They had to learn to fend for themselves, to cook, to clean, you know, to deal with crisis on their own. Now that's great because later in life, they can take care of themselves. Right. Dependent. Um, the uh, the other side of that sword is if they don't like a job, they leave it. If they don't like a relationship, they leave it. They're very independent. So you talk to them by giving them an either or choice. And then, of course, we have the Generation Z, which we talked about a minute ago. But So that's one of the things you have to be mindful of, is where they came from. Also, you need to be mindful of their communication styles. We all have communication styles. Some of us like just the bullet points. We don't need details. In fact, we hate details. Uh, some of us love the details. You know, don't, don't be short with me. Give me all the information. You know, those are two important distinctions. You need to know if you want to communicate and reach the people you're talking to. Um Yeah. So I was very mindful as, as far as who the person was, not just who the customer was. And I think that if business owners and salespeople and entrepreneurs can think of it in those terms, they're going to find much more success in all of their marketing efforts.
0: Oh, I'm sure they'll find success by reading that book for sure. Hey, I always ask a question about bullying, Steve. Have you got a story that you can share with us about this topic and how mindfulness would have made a difference?
1: Bruce, that is a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I guess 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, my wife and I started a website called BullyFreeKids.com. And my wife was a seventh grade language arts teacher. At the time, I was in the martial arts business. And we both experienced and saw bullying at its worst. She was in seventh grade, which is puberty. That's where a lot of bullying will happen. I was in the martial arts business. A lot of parents were bringing their kids to me because they, number one, were victims of bullies or they were bullies and they needed some self-discipline. So it's a very uh, dear subject of mine. But let me go back a little bit because I was a bully when I was a kid. Uh, Uh, One time only, one time only. But I'm going to tell you the story because it's it's a lesson that I've learned and held my whole life. I was in the fifth grade and there was a kid in that uh, in my school who everybody picked on. I mean, he was the target and everybody picked on him. So I picked on him too, cause I wanted to be in with the crowd. Right. Yeah. And there was one point where I went to the bathroom, you know, and when you're in elementary school, your bathrooms are wide open, you know, the urinals that we're at. So I'm standing at the urinal and this kid that everybody picks on was next to me. So I thought I'm going to be a tough guy. And I started harassing him. And he's like, man, just leave me alone. And I said, I'll leave you alone. I'm going to leave you alone, punk. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he said, that's it. I've had enough. If you really want to fight, we're just going to fight. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's do it. You know, because in my mind, this guy is, you know, he can't handle himself. So we go out into the schoolyard and I call all my friends over. Hey, come over and watch this. Watch this. Well, I don't know who it is that taught this kid how to box. But I didn't get any punches in and he must have got six or seven in on me. Wow. Where I finally I finally gave up. And it for the first time in my life, I thought, who do I think I am? And thank you for beating me up because I will never bully another kid in ever. Ever. And I didn't. I've never bullied anybody since then. Now I did go to martial arts training after that (laughs) because I didn't want to get beat up again either. Um, but I, I, wish I had that kid's name because I would thank him. You know, Bruce, we don't understand the impact that people can make in our lives. No, we don't. And when they can make that and how it lasts you your entire life. I'll never forget that beating I took and I'm so thankful for it because it did change things. Now, later on when I was in the army, uh, I was a cook in the Army. As soon as I got into AIT, the Advanced Training for Cook School, there was a guy, he must have been 6'3, six, 6'4, six, and I'm 5'10. And he's a big guy. Well, he started bullying me. He started picking on me. And I just let it go. I was like this kid in, in fifth grade. I just let it go and I, I wouldn't let it bother me until finally, one time, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I said, That's it. You and I were going outside. And he, he, he walked up to me and he put his fist right in front of my face. I mean, so it blocked my view. All I could see was his fist and he said, do you really want to go outside with me? (laughs) And I became very mindful. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no, but please stop picking on me. (laughs) We became best friends. Oh, did you really? We did. Now here's some of the things that I've learned about bullying. Um, there's a lot of uh, I know there's a lot of definitions of why people are bullies. Some people say it's because somebody's bullying them. It could be a parent or a teacher or a sibling or something, and that's all true. Um, but I think that the biggest reason people are bullies is because they lack self-esteem. They don't feel good about themselves. So the only way that they can make themselves feel good about somebody is to make somebody else feel worse. Um, I used to when I used to in the martial arts business, I used to go into the schools and talk to them, you know, about. Bullying was one of the things we talked about and I said next time somebody bully walks up to you And you know that they're gonna bully you why don't you just throw them off balance say something like hey, man great kicks You got where'd you get those? You know say something nice about them watch how fast their whole demeanor changes And I've seen that to be true over and over and over again um, But you know it also comes down to we need to educate our kids about what bullying is. They need a virtual Butt-whooping like I got <laughs>
0: Well, we definitely need to educate them. And I've been doing that for a long time and you have too. So yeah, more of us need to
1: be doing that. I agree. We do. I wish I, I, you know, my website is still up bullyfreekids.com. It's still there and you can still get, we send out an email every day. That's just a one sentence or one little statement to help build self-esteem that parents can use with their kids and for the parents themselves too. Cause it doesn't matter what age you are. Bullying affects us at any age. Um, unfortunately, when you go there and you read my bio and I look very young there, I have dark hair still. Now it's not so dark. Um, My wife looks beautiful. She still does. But we were a lot younger when we did that website. Uh, And I haven't kept it up the way I want to, but it's still there, you know, and there's some great information there.
0: Yeah, we'll have to check that out. Hey, as we move forward in the interview, Steve, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So the first one is this, just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life?
1: There's so many more more than just one, but I'll keep it really short. Um, I would say Tony Robbins is one of the major influences. Zig Ziglar, Uh, for marketing, but also the mindfulness, because those guys both understand that it's not just about products and services. It's about being a human being. Yeah, they they definitely
0: understand that. That's for sure. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Steve?
1: (laughs) Well, it's caused me to always carry my emotions on my sleeve. uh, I can can cry easily uh, when I'm not just being sad, but also just being overwhelmed and warm feelings and love. Uh, So I'm very emotional that way. Um, I have kind of corrected my anger part of it. I don't, I don't, you know, fly off the handle like I used to in the early days, Uh, but I drank a lot back then. So that, that kind of led to that, but I've always been able to hold my emotions right there on my sleeve.
0: Tell us about breathing. How is breathing a part of your mindfulness?
1: Um, I believe breathing is, probably one of the most important things when it comes to mindfulness because that is life. Oxygen is life. And um, one of the things, I don't think you know this about me because I don't think it's in my bio, but I was also a stage hypnotist.
0: Oh, yeah, I do know that about you. Yeah, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I studied hypnosis and one of the major things when it comes to hypnosis is breathing because, and I still do that. I mean, I know that all of us at some point we're laying in bed and we can't get to sleep. Well, if you'll just... Breathe and think about the breath you're taking, inhaling and exhaling. And just clear everything else out of your mind. Just think about the breath. You can feel the life that's going into your body. And I promise you, if you do that correctly, you're going to be asleep. You're going to be asleep. (laughs) But you've got to really think about that. Concentrate on your breath. The breathing is so important. And I know that I've got what they call the box breathing, you know, four deep breaths in, four deep breaths out. I I do that as well. I'll actually – remember I said before I don't fly off the handle with anger? Yeah. If I feel anger coming, breathing is where I go to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So tell me about a book other than your own book, which is which is absolutely <laughs> terrific. It really is Rearranging Change, and you can get it at rearrangingchange.com. But are there any other books that are kind of about mindfulness that you would recommend?
1: Um, I would. Um, I don't know if you ever read Who Moved My Cheese? I no, mean, I haven't that w- read that one. That was uh, Spencer Johnson is uh, the author of that. But it, it's just, again, it's about when things happen in your life, how you can pivot because of it, and I think that's very mindful. Um, For me at the time, The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, very mindful book, uh, worked for me tremendously well. I'll tell you what I like. I got them right here on my desk. I have little books. I got The Treasury of Quotes from Brian Tracy. I got The Treasury of Quotes from Jim Rohn. Mm -hmm. Zig Ziglar, Little Book of Big Quotes. And then uh, Dennis Waitley, uh, excerpts from the Seeds of Greatness Treasury. This is mindful. You look at something every day to put something positive in your mind. It's just a great way to, to start your day. Or if you've got a moment at any time, pick it up and just look at something and just you know, contemplate and, and, and meditate on it for just a minute. It's amazing. It I've is been- amazing.
0: Yeah. Great suggestion. Yeah. So tell me about this. Is there an app that you would recommend that can help with mindfulness?
1: Oh, Tours at Your Feet. Or excuse me, New Orleans at Your Feet. That's a great one. <laughs> <I> <laughs> well, it's a great app from the sounds of it. I'd love to go yeah. to New Orleans. It I is. haven't been there. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a great city. Um, you know, I don't know of an app other than I've heard of some apps that are like, you know, like ocean sounds and things yeah. like that. Yeah. That would be good, but I've not used them. Yeah. So tell me about meditation. You mentioned it
0: just as you were talking about the, the little books with quotes and stuff. Do you meditate? Is that part of your life?
1: Um, not in the traditional sense of meditation. I, I, it's one of the things I always wanted to learn was like transcendental meditation and things like that, but I never did. Um, but when I did the hypnosis, I mean, I learned about self hypnosis and I, I do do that. Uh, so I don't think it's in the, the traditional term of meditation, but I think the end result is the same, you know, yeah. just being one with myself.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's great talking to you. It's great hearing you on the podcast and, you know, talking to your, you know, your friend, Ron said,
1: Gee, you know, he's, he's quite a guy, isn't he? he? Is, Man. He, is, he still lives in the sixties. I love him. <laughs> oh, he's great. <laughs> he, he looks like Elvis. I mean, and he's a, a presidential buff and his office is like, the, it's, it's a replica of the white house all the way down to his desk. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's amazing. And does he live near you? He's about 20 miles away. Okay, not not too far. When I first moved to Florida, I had an office at Universal Studios, and that's where I I met Ron. Just just a quick story for you because it's kind of a great story. Uh, At the time, I was a a manager, I was a talent manager, and I was handling, I had celebrity clients. And so I moved to, I had an office at Universal Studios here in Florida. That's when I moved from Los Angeles to here. And when I got there, there was a guy at the corner who had a radio show named Ron Seggi. And so, because I'm the new guy in the, on the block. I introduced myself to everybody. So I said hello to him. And he told me he was from Erie, Pennsylvania. Well, my wife is from Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh. And the weird thing about Erie, Pennsylvania is everybody knows everybody else there. I don't know how they do that, but they do. So I came home and I said to her, do you know a guy named Ron Seggi?" And she goes, Ronnie G? And I said, no, he said Sedgy." And she said, yeah, but is that Ronnie G? And I said, no, honey. He said, Ron Seji. <laughs> and so the next day I went to there and I said, my wife said, asked me if you knew anybody named Ronnie G. And he said, that was me. He goes, I was the number one DJ in Erie, Pennsylvania. My wife was in high school. <laughs> so talk about a small world. That and is
0: a small world.
1: <gasps> he and I have been great friends ever since that. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it's a fun podcast to listen to, and I, I can't wait to see who else he's going to come up with that he's interviewing on there.
1: Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you can see the board behind me. But oh, yeah. We have Lee Greenwood. We oh. have uh, Tony Orlando. We have Howie Mandel. We just finished with Jimmy Fallon from The Tonight Show. Oh, so did you? We, yeah, we got some great interviews coming. Well, oh,
0: I haven't heard that one, the Jimmy oh, Fallon that's come- one.
1: That's coming. Yeah, that's you, we only have the first five that are up, but we've got uh, seven in the can. So and then we're putting more actually later today. We're doing a couple more. So, yeah, okay. well, I'll, be,
0: I'll be right on there listening, you know, because I, I really enjoy your show. It's awesome. And that's where I met you is on Podcasters Paradise because yes. you and I are both members of that online group.
1: Yes. So, yeah, that's great. And I'm so glad to meet you. I mean, it yeah. was it's you know, this is a this is like a I'm going to give you one more quick story. Because yeah, please it, do. How I truly feel. Our lives are in four quarters. Your first quarter is when you're born until you're about 20. Now, you have no idea how good you have it, but you can't wait to be an adult, right, to get over it. Yeah. The second quarter comes between 20 and 40. That's where you make all your mistakes in life. That's where you start to really stumble and fall, but also succeed. Your third quarter is 40 to 60, and that's where everything you learn between that second quarter should now be paying off for you. You start seeing some, you own your own house now, you're starting to see some life's benefits. And then you have your fourth quarter, which is the quarter that I'm in right now. That's from 60 to when you die. Uh And hopefully this is a quarter that you're going to enjoy your golden years because of everything that came before and, and things that you've learned. Well, this fourth quarter is when I wrote this book rearranging change. This is fourth quarter is when I started a podcast. This fourth quarter is when I'm putting together some online courses. I mean this fourth quarter is my favorite quarter so far, and I've had some fun quarters, you know. But yeah. I, I'm just thoroughly enjoying this and meeting you. You're you're part of my fourth quarter now, and so it's exciting, and I can't wait to see what's happening if it's gonna happen. But Whoa. I'm gonna live for today right now,
0: <laughs> for sure. And I'm thrilled to meet you too, Steve. It's just awesome, you know, to get to know you. And I'm so glad that we could jump on this call today and and publish this, you know, put this episode out there for all my listeners.
1: I really appreciate it, man. It's been yeah. fun. Yeah, it has.
0: Well, you have a great rest of your day and I hope to talk to you again sometime soon.
1: Well, thank you, Bruce. Appreciate you.
0: Take care. Bye now, Steve. Bye-bye. Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you did, please tell your friends about the show. Every person who subscribes and listens helps our show. So in the meantime, take what you heard today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.